don't touch strangers' lips ever. If you take one thing from this podcast, <laughs> let it be. Don't touch strangers' lips. I think if you're hot, you could touch my lips. <laughs> Back to you, Bob. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast. We are your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is episode 217, Psychic Friends, which originally aired on 3-10-1999, March 10th. It's spring break. We're raging. We are raging. The Easter Bunny has come or will come. I don't know. <laughs> Easter's weird. <laughs> it moves all around. It throws me off. Christ has risen. Look at that bevy. Huge. What is it? It is a crystal ball. It is white cranberry juice, green apple vodka, and cinnamon schnapps. It's like a the recipe is for a batch of them. So I just kind of cut it in half, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I love a white cranberry moment. White cranberry mm-hmm. to me is very winter, but then the apple and the cinnamon are a little bit fall. It's like a whole mishmash. It's probably meant to be like a Halloween-y party drink. For sure. Well, I'm going to dive right into our recap. Wasting no time. So this episode opens in Dawson's bedroom, where he's having a nightmare about showing Joey his film that he just completed. She says how much she loves it and how amazing it is. She can't believe how good of a job Jack did directing it. It's brilliant. Dawson's confused, and he's like, Jack, what? This is my movie. So Jack comes in, kisses Joey. She tells him how brilliant he is, and he proposes. It's definitely some kind of anxiety nightmare about everything Dawson has been going through lately and how nervous he is about how the world will receive his film. This could be because at Cape Side High, Mr. Gold was replaced as the teacher for film class by a real Hollywood writer named Mrs. Kennedy. Now, Mrs. Kennedy is on sabbatical and she's in Cape Side while she writes her next movie. She's very impressed by Dawson in class and he's very impressed by her career and her resume. He's in awe of her. But also at school, Dawson now needs to dodge his dad, Mitch, who's taken a job as a substitute teacher filling in for Mr. Peterson, who just retired a few episodes ago. So the backdrop for this episode is a winter carnival. It's one of those events where everyone has like a little kiosk or a tent and they're little businesses and you go for, it's like a farmer's market kind of a vibe. And Andy's really excited because she wants to go to the psychic's tent. And she really wants Pacey to work the police department tent as Captain Skippy, who is this little puppet mascot who gives safety tips to kids. Pacey doesn't want to do it, but Andy bribes him with sexual favors. So he's in. Also at the carnival, Joey and Jack are selling her art at a tent, and Jen will be helping Grams, who's selling little knickknacks. So Joey in this episode is really trying to turn Jack into her gay best friend. I mean, she's hitting it really hard. It's a dynamic that he's not quite comfortable with yet, but we see their relationship shift into more of a friendship zone. She's talking about boys, etc. And she really wants to get a kiss from someone, she tells Jack. She really wants to kiss someone new. So she's the first person up at the psychic. There's this mysterious wind that blows through the psychic tent. Up until then, the psychic's kind of giving her very general knowledge. But after this mysterious wind, the psychic tells Joey that she needs to start saying yes to things. She's been too closed off in her life due to horrible things that have happened to her. And she also warns Joey that a tall, dark, handsome man will come into her life. 
Afterwards, Joey and Jack run into a man named Colin, who's interested in her art. And Joey's interested in him too, with some encouragement from Jack. Colin is a photography major at the local college. So she poses for him for a shoot. She lets loose a bit and they get a little flirty. Jack and Joey think this is the tall, dark, handsome man that the psychic was talking about. But as it turns out, Colin is gay and interested in Jack. Joey's bummed. It has happened again. So Andy, who was previously really excited to go see the psychic, gets a really bad reading. We don't know what the psychic says to her at first, but Andy is visibly shaken by it. When Pacey confronts the psychic and tells her that she should only give her clients good news, she says that that's not the truth, and she only tells the truth. She gives him a free reading. He doesn't want it, but she says she sees a man who to the world is confident, but underneath he's a scared little boy, and his world is resting on a house of cards. One little wind, and it'll knock it all over. Pacey also gets upset and walks off. Later, Andy tells Pacey that the psychic told her that everything she's experienced so far, all of the pain, is just a preview of what is to come. Now, Mrs. Kennedy finally offers to watch Dawson's movie. And so he shows her and she says, it's fine. Dawson pushes a little more. He wants a really honest opinion from her. And she tells Dawson that she hates it. It's uninspired. It's a bad soap opera with ridiculous dialogue and annoying characters. She really lets him have it. And she says, not everyone is cut out for Hollywood. Not everyone makes it there. She crushes his dreams. And later, to add insult to injury, Dawson sees her getting in a car with his dad, Mitch. So Graham's is tent, meanwhile, where she's selling her little knickknacks. She's pursued by an old friend from high school who asks her out on a date. Graham shoots him down, saying that part of her life is over. But Jen convinces Graham's that she needs to live, and she convinces her to go out with this guy and give him a chance. She gives Graham's a makeover. She dyes her hair. She gives her some new clothes. But it turns out that the man is married and cancels the date with Graham's at the last minute to be with his wife. Graham's is devastated and Jen is bummed, but Graham's realized an important lesson. Her life isn't over. She does need to start living again and opening herself up more. So Joey, meanwhile, is trying to play matchmaker between Colin and Jack, but Jack is really offended. You know, just because they're the only two gay people in Cape Side doesn't mean that they're going to be a match. Clearly, Jack is still processing coming out and he's not ready to date. But she's taken this BFF thing a little too far for his pace. Later, he apologizes and says he's overreacted, but he's really not ready for any of this yet. When Joey goes to Colin to tell him that Jack's not going to show up for their date, they get to talking. And Colin said, you know, he's not ready anyway. He just got out of a really big relationship. And it's a hard one because he was friends with this guy before they started dating. At the time that they broke up, he could think of a thousand reasons why they shouldn't be together. But now he can't think of any. This really hits home for Joey, who thinks about Dawson. So now it's the end of the episode and it's Dawson's turn for a psychic reading. And she pulls a tarot card for him. And it's the lover card. She says that Dawson has a soulmate that he's known for many lifetimes. And she's around him all the time. And just like that, the psychic disappears. So Dawson and Joey have a little near miss at the end of the episode where they're each thinking about reaching out to the other. Joey returns to her house to find a tall, dark, handsome man waiting for her on her porch. And it turns out that it's her dad. And that is Psychic Friends. It's a little sci-fi magical episode. Yeah, with so many twinkle lights, but we'll get into it. (laughs) Who wrote this magical, magical episode? This episode was written by Dana Barata. We know her. We love her. She's back again. She's a fave. This episode was directed by Patrick Norris, who we know from episode 209, The Election, a fan fave. And he will be with us with two episodes next season as well. We'd love that. Yeah, we got a solid crew this time. Solid crew for a kind of strange episode, but it's a transitional episode, I would say for sure. 
We're out of February sweeps. We're heading into spring. They're doing a little bit of reconfiguring, a little bit of setup, a little bit of psychic energy, you know. (laughs) Who is our guest cast shout out? Our guest cast shout out this week is Nick Stabile. I'm going to guess is how you say his name. He plays Colin. Soapstar. Colin Manchester. Nick is a soap darling. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. He has 156 episodes of Sunset Beach. He has 14 episodes of Passions. He has 52 episodes of Saints and Sinners. He has 18 episodes of Days of Our Lives. And he has 14 episodes of General Hospital. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) He played Mark on Sunset Beach, who was like the lovable best friend to all the girls, has a crush on all of them, and none of them have a crush on him. It was the Aaron Spelling daytime soap opera. I believe we've talked about it. But they did a storyline. They did a they did a scream storyline one winter break to try to get viewers because it was a younger it was a stuff that skewed for younger viewers. And they did a storyline like a I know what you did last summer scream, basically like a slasher on an island. And they kept saying, like, you know, one of the main characters you love will die. And it was a big to get viewers thing. And he was the one that died because he was like everyone's favorite. So he got killed. He was like the Drew Barrymore. <laughs> and then on passions he was a temporary recast for fox who was played by justin hartley so he was justin hartley's recast on passions anyway just a little tidbit he was also on real housewives of beverly hills because he's friends with camille Grammer in real life so if you guys watched real housewives of beverly hills camille had that friend season one that was like they kissed on the lips but she was still married to kelsey and it was weird and everyone thought their friendship was weird that was him fun fact all righty well we love him we sure do. Do you have a music moment? You know what? I don't. This these last, we're in a we're in a little period of season two where the music moments aren't piercing through. I know we have some coming up in future episodes, but nothing really stood out this episode to me. Yeah, I am looking at what was in the original. Obviously, there are again a lot of great songs. There's a blues traveler song, semisonic, Natalie Merchant, Lisa Loeb, like. There's great songs in the episode. It's just none of them hit as like a big music moment. Yeah. But as we've said, you know, this was the spring that the Dawson's Creek soundtrack was launched. So in the future, next few episodes, there's big moments where the music is intrinsically just tied in our brains. Yes, absolutely. How about a past versus present? I have a, I I guess what I'm, I never really connected with this episode. It wasn't one of my favorite ones that I did during the rewatch. And I think I kind of still feel that way. So I'm not quite sure things have yeah. changed much. I don't really have a past versus present for this episode. The only thing that stood out to me is I think in watching it originally, I was like, oh, yeah, kind of siding with Jack in his thinking of like, why would you assume the only two gay guys you've ever met would want to date each other kind of thing? Like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But now in watching, I'm like, oh, no, Jack is very clearly, like, he's not ready. He's terrified. He's like, oh, my God. Like, it's not, he's not there yet. That's really the only thing that stood out to me. Like, originally, you thought he was really mad about that. But now, you know, he was yeah. just, it was an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Should we open it up? Because I love this cold open. Let's open it up. The nightmare. The nightmare. Well, I remember watching this the first time around or whatever. Like, I just remember thinking that Joey was actually brought to tears by Dawson's movie and being like, wow, Dawson really is a good filmmaker. No, he's not. It's a nightmare. He's having a nightmare. But do you have any recollection of like this scene at all? 
No, but I had that reaction watching it now. I thought she was serious because she's showering the movie in compliments. She's saying how good it is, how it could, you know, go toe to toe with like Kubrick and Spielberg and all these things. And I thought it was a real moment. It's a misdirect. It's a mislead. She actually's like, Jack did it again. But I thought when she was delivering it to Dawson about Dawson, I completely bought it and I did not know it was a nightmare. And I was rolling my eyes. And he's like, what? No, I directed it. Look at the movie. And he holds it up and it says by Jack McPhee. Freak Days, D-A-Z-E. Crazy. (laughs) And then Jack comes into his nightmare, gets down to when he proposes. And he's like, but you're gay. And then he says like, apparently not. So funny, funny, funny. Even that's kind of like a very kooky, weird cold open for them. It is. But I think it set the tone really well for the episode to come. Yeah. Mitch and Mrs. Kennedy or Mitch and Miss Kennedy are like the fact that they both came and started at the same time. It's like fodder for like hot for teacher. Like they're both just so good looking. (laughs) It's crazy. She's very good looking. She does not look much older than them. You would know the actress. She's famous. She's hotsy-totsy. She's here. She's teaching them film. She's impressed with Dawson. She says good movies make people squirm. Good movies reveal the truth. It's Magikin Amic. Which, you know, maybe we'll deep dive about her in the future. Who knows? Two new teachers at Cape Side High. Dawson loves one. Doesn't love that his dad is there. I guess I never realized on my first rewatch how much resentment Dawson has towards his dad. It's getting weird. So much. Yeah. He's like, can you imagine if anyone heard me calling you dad? <laughs> like everyone knows he's your dad. What are you talking about? And then Dawson yawns and Mitch is so concerned. He's like, oh my God, you're yawning. Are you okay? Are you not are sleeping? Are you sleeping? <laughs> Mitch is such a good dad. Yeah. He's so cute. Dawson, you're freaking birthstone necklace it's really interesting the thing that's annoying this episode is that dawson's like fully all in on filmmaking being his complete identity now because he has convinced himself that he has no one no one loves him he loves no one his parents gone joey gone basie andy like he is a mess He's a mess. And he's like, well, I'm a filmmaker and that's all I care about. And that's all I'm going to (laughs) do. I know. I did like that the film class and Mr. Gold and all that stuff kind of came back. Yeah. But it really ruined everything when Miss Kennedy did not like his movie. Because all episode he's like, well, this is it. This is what I'm doing now. And then she's like, actually, you're bad at this. (laughs) Well, he pushes her. He he pulls that opinion out of her. She doesn't want to give it in her defense. It's true. But also in his defense, she's a teacher. (laughs) Like, I understand Hollywood is harsh and that nobody's going to bubble wrap you or like give you gentle criticism. But when you are a student and you're talking to a teacher, I think that you can assume that they will give you constructive feedback, not just quit. I don't know. Not a Cape Side High. Where you been? <laughs> Where you been? That's true, actually. Coming off of Mr. Peterson, who's like, actually, I don't like you, so I will fail you. These teachers are here to cause trauma. That's it. That was the 90s. They will sleep with you. They will make you cry. They will destroy your film. They will out you in front of all of your classmates. <laughs> They will tell you that you failed an aptitude test. <laughs> they will change study sessions. They will cancel study sessions. They'll cancel a class. They'll cancel tests. 
The only one I like is the economics guy with the good assignment. And Mr. Leary. Well, he's a sub. (laughs) (laughs) Does he count? I don't know. And like the one thing Dawson's been begging him to do is to get a job. And then Mitch gets a job. And Dawson's like, why are you here? Not this job. God. Come on, Dad. I love your Dawson impressions. (laughs) When you said he ate white foods. (laughs) He does. I know he does. So Mrs. Kennedy is in Cape Side because she's on sabbatical. She's writing a rom-com and he's so inspired by her. He's like kind of obsessed with her in that weird Dawson way. But here's the thing. She's a writer. Mm-hmm. She's a writer, but she's also handling film reels and like being in charge of this weird booth at the thing. Like, I don't know. It just bothers me when it's like, well, I'm, yes, I work in film, therefore I can do anything and everything. And like, I don't know. You're triggered by the, by the fact that she uses like actual film instead of just playing the VHS. She's acting like, oh yeah, I mean, I know, yeah, I know everything about making a movie and you're, here's what's wrong with your production and here's what's wrong with this and that. Like, I don't know. Just because you're a writer doesn't mean you know all of the ins and outs of production. I guess you could, but she, again, looks not very much older than them. I can't imagine her experience is so like vast that she had enough time to pick all this stuff up. What I'm saying is criticize his story all you want, but I don't know. She talked about his visual. She talked about his production value. She talked about... Yeah, going after the production value was a little much because it's a teenager in Cape Side, but... She says, there's no emotion. The dialogue's awful. It's uninspired. There's no story. It's a preposterous soap opera. Really, she was just echoing the criticism that Dawson's Creek got when it first came out. Basically plagiarized, she says. And then she leaves with a Mitch. So there's a little tease of that in the beginning when she approaches him and she's like, I hear you're a filmmaker. And he's like, how'd you hear that? Or, you know, your father talks about you in the faculty lounge. So Miss Kennedy, Mrs. Kennedy and Mitch have been hanging out in the faculty lounge. And then they leave together. And let's be honest, they're going to have sex. <laughs> As they should. I didn't know that when I was 16 watching this. But <laughs> now that we're Mitch's age, I know what they're going to do. Those bodies should connect. <laughs> Mitch is leaving the winter carnival. He is boned up. Those little kiosks do it for him. He was like, ooh, a clothespin with a ribbon on it. This is exactly the kind of stuff I like to see. And what a little sadistic person Mrs. Kennedy is. She destroys the son and now she's going to destroy the father sexually. And did you notice when they had that initial conversation and she said, oh, your dad talks about you in the faculty room? Dawson was like, oh, Mitch, whatever. Like he doesn't, he won't call him dad. Like my dad, he says, oh, Mitch has his own whatever. I forget exactly the sentence, but when he's like, people can't be hearing me call you dad. What a loser. I really like the Joey Jack friend dynamic. We've settled into it. They obviously uh, always liked each other as they were dating. And we're now like firmly in a friend zone. And I like it. I think it's cute. Yeah, the first scene is them in the cafeteria and they're talking about guys in line for food and Joey's like pervert, crazy, serial killer, loser. It's very funny. Yeah. And Jack is like less into it. He's just not comfortable talking about all of this just yet. And she's really trying to make this gay best friend kind of thing happen. And it's cute. But she moves a little too fast for him. She wants to set him up. Yeah, he's not there yet. He is not there yet. But she tells him how badly she wants to kiss someone. Yes. And they think it's going to be this Colin character 
because she's told someone tall, dark, and handsome is going to come into her life. Yes. And then Colin and her sit down on a bench and have a conversation and he tells her how beautiful she is. And he tells her that she has really sumptuous, what's the word he uses for her lips? Whatever. He talks about how her lips are and he touches her lips. Don't touch strangers' lips ever, okay? If you take one thing from this podcast, let it be, don't touch strangers' lips. I think if you're hot, you could touch my lips. (laughs) Someone could just walk up to you and graze your lips. It depends on how hot they are. (laughs) Could Colin? Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) If you take one thing away from this podcast is touch touch everyone's lips. If you think you're hot, touch people's lips. If you think you're hot, violate everyone's boundaries. (laughs) Not us having a lawsuit. Oh, no. Also, can we just be honest? You know, I love Katie Holmes and I love Joey Potter. Joey does not look cute in this episode. She's frazzled. It's the hat and the hair. The hat, it's the hair. It's a disaster. And they don't do her any favors. So like Colin does this whole photo shoot with her and they put her in this weird button up shirt and tie and hat. I get it. She's basically a model. Like Katie Holmes is a model. She's tall. She's thin. She's like, and they didn't really, I don't know. Yeah, because the hat you referenced, the one she's wearing throughout most of the episode, it's like a brown paper sack. It's like a bucket hat meets just like a beanie. Yeah, it's very, it's a very weird shape. It's like a loose beanie kind of. It's like boxy. And did you notice there's a little girl wearing the exact same hat? The person she sells her art to at the end? No. <laughs> really Wardrobe was like, well, we, we got, we doubled it. So you might as well. She just looks a little like unhoused. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does. But Colin loves it. He thinks she's stunning. <laughs> he cannot wait to photograph her. The modeling montage. I was like, what is happening? I think I wrote music awful. Exclamation point. <laughs> I mean, Jack and Colin. They're hitting it off. They were vibing. They referenced Madonna. That was like your first little hint. Like, Mm -hmm. oh. Got a vibe. Got a vibe. The psychic is $5. They say it 900 times throughout the episode. (laughs) The psychic is $5. Yep. She's a whack. (laughs) Colin is a freshman at the Art Institute. So we have another instance of legal, illegal, potential romance happening. True story. Can we talk about wit? For a minute. Talk about what? (laughs) Wit, who is the old man. Isn't that his name? (laughs) Yes. Two things. Wit's booth, where Wit is working, has some really cool wooden lamps. And I would like one. I bet they're handcrafted wooden lamps. By a cheating liar. That's the other thing. Wit is the flirtiest flirt ever. He asks her to dinner. Were we supposed to think that he was deceiving her or were we supposed to think that she read too much into the invitation? Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. I always assumed that they read too much into it. But in watching this time, I was like, no, he gives her a flower and it's like, you're not going to make an old man eat alone. Like that's very. Yeah. I just assumed that he was kind of cheating and stepping out. I didn't even consider that it was a... I feel like if that were the case, though, he would not have told her that his wife was sick. He would have just been like, oh, I can't come. 
you know? Yeah, I don't know. To provide some context, he approaches Grams at the booth and she says his name and she says, I thought you were dead. (laughs) (laughs) And Jen says, great pickup line. And it's been 30 years and apparently they knew each other in high school or as teenagers. And then he walks away and Jen says, he's sexy, which is like, (laughs) and then she tells Grams, oh, I bet he has impure thoughts about you. Yeah. Uh, Jen's very... She's poking. She's poking. She's from New York. I don't know if you've heard. (laughs) She's a city girl. Things move quick in New York, you know? She loves to bounce. When she, they go home and she's washing Graham's hair. Is that what's happening in the sink? She's, I, I believe she's dying in and washing it. So Graham's is sitting like back as you would if you were getting your hair done. And Jen goes, you know, it's uh, rough out there. You've got to bring contraceptives. And Graham's without skipping a beat stands up and goes, I'm not going. <laughs> it was so funny to me. I know she's really trying to get under Graham's collar this whole episode. Why is she doing that to poor Graham's? I don't know. She's trying to spook her out. I'm sure he has Trojans in his wallet. The VFX of the movie on the screen are so bad. Did you notice? Talk about it now. So I'm assuming that they didn't have practical playback of the movie or that they wanted to change the scenes that were playing back, but... They did what's called like a burn-in, which is where you take the footage and put it on. And they tried to treat it to make it look like film. But to me, it just stood out as not at all practical. Practical means that they shot it on the day. Like it just, it looks like it's like pasted on there. Yeah. I did not notice, but I think you have that eye for that because of your job. Yeah. So nowadays, right, they would just make it a green screen. Or do you think that's what they did? They just did it badly or... No, I think they probably played something because there was like a space on the screen that was lit up, but it was harder than it wasn't as easy to fine tune things. So that's why like now sometimes you won't even notice a burn in on a TV show because they have ways of like pulling the reflections from the TV and putting them over top of the thing. Like it just feels much more integrated than it did in the past. I don't know just a little thing i picked up and also another thing i picked up is that the first two scenes with colin are all adr and i was wondering why like to the point that i was like did they revoice this whole episode of him which sometimes happens if you don't like the performance you can revoice with a completely different actor an entire performance but it was definitely him towards the end so it could have either been for performance or it could have been for noise or it could have been maybe he was sick and it was very clear from one half of the episode to the other that he was sick. You know what I mean? Like a stuffy nose or something like that. Could have been anything. Yeah. But or maybe the wind or because you've mentioned yep. outdoor. The episode where Joey and Jack are at the Art Institute and there's the fountain. You said yep. sometimes they will do ADR if there's like a, lo- a loud. Because they are by water and there's boats and there was things in the background. Absolutely. Maybe the, sh- the show couldn't control. Could have been. I don't know if I've talked about this before on here, but I did a show like 10 years ago at this point And... The lead got laryngitis and we had to shoot. We couldn't shoot without her. She was in every scene. So there were there was an entire day or two where we shot all of her scenes and she whispered them. And then we had to go back and shoot all of the dialogue after the fact. You had to ADR it or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So ADR was actually shown on this show when Jen, when Jen and Dawson discovered that his mom was having an affair that episode. She was doing ADR at the news station. That, ah. 
It's like when the, when they get counted down, it's that beep, 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 and they have to say the line of dialogue and it has to match up with their lips on the screen of something that's already been filmed. Yep. And it's very common, right? It happens every episode. Oh, yeah. Of shows. Absolutely. I've never done an episode that didn't have ADR. At least some. So it's very, it's a skill like we've talked about. I mean, I could never, I mean, I could never. Yeah. It takes practice for sure. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So they have this photo shoot. The music's terrible. The looks are terrible. She says she feels like a drag queen. Colin tells Joey that he's gay. Joey tells Jack that he needs to get some gaydar. And she says I'm kind of nasty. And Jack is like, you know, not every gay tap dances to Bette Midler. He's like, oh, yeah, I hear there's a class over at the college about gaydar. I'll go take it. <laughs> but then they make up and he kisses her forehead and blah, blah, blah. They're close. I wrote count Sunday, obviously. What does that mean? It's after I wrote The Fortune Teller is a Bitch and before I wrote <laughs> This Lady Will Never Make It as a Teacher with that kind of criticism. Count Sunday. I don't know. No idea. But she gives Pacey, she gives Andy a bad reading, which Andy Andy goes, we don't see it, but she tells Andy, the pain you've encountered in your life is nothing compared to what you're going to encounter. Ominous. Pacey confronts her. She says, you know, your world is resting in a house of cards. You're really insecure. It's gonna, it might come crashing down with one wrong move. And then she tells Dawson that he's surrounded by his lover of many lifetimes, their soulmates. And then she tells Joey, of course, that a tall, dark, handsome man is coming. So we know if you're buying into this, we know that the tall, dark, handsome man is Joey's dad who appears. Is she going to be right about Pacey and Andy? Who knows? I wrote, I think I wrote the fortune teller is a bitch after Pacey's reading because she very intentionally like digs into him. And then when he leaves, she has a little smirk on her face. Like, haha, I told him. Yeah. She came for your man. She came for your man. She did. That's my man. That's my man. All right. The twinkle lights, the twinkle lights. There's so many. So many. It's wild. I'll be honest. That's all I have. The last thing I have is what's your take on Dawson? destroying the 3d model at the end i don't know what do you think it means he's such a baby i don't know he's way overreacting he had this moment at the end of the episode or towards the end of the episode where he's standing there and he's looking around and everybody's busy with other people and he's in his feelings about that he's alone he doesn't have his career he does or his career he doesn't have his dream of his career he doesn't have his friends he doesn't have the girl he doesn't have his dad he doesn't have whatever so i think he's just in his feelings but i'm like you're a baby get over it i think he's overreacting being selfish when it comes to the relationships in his life and how he's jealous and all these things but i think when it comes to him spiraling over the advice of mrs kennedy i could totally she was brutal she and was like when you're six when you're 16 hearing it from someone who's done it that you don't have any potential and you're oh i don't know i i I believe that was inappropriate. I mean, we all know he's a little emotional and crazy. So breaking a model scale, I guess, isn't yeah. a <laughs> deal in the grand scheme of things. But I mean, that would kill me, I must admit, I must say. And like I said, he just declared that his whole personality is now filmmaking. So if in his mind, that's the only thing he has going, then hearing that, that's that's rough. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Mr. Peterson abusive English teacher? I told you that I had an abusive English teacher. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she told me I would never be a writer. And I remember, and because I wanted to write for TV. I mean, I know I wanted to write very early on. It was just kind of like, what would it be? And then that's kind of 
my obsession with writing and my love of TV kind of intersected and they were both on the rise at the same time. And when I learned that like TV writing was an actual job, like I'd never really thought about it before when I learned that was an actual job. That's what I wanted to do. And so I went all, I went in on the writing big in high school, even though, you know, critical thinking and essays and all of these things aren't the exact writing that I wanted to do. She told me that I was never going to be a writer. And she told my, she doubled down on it in parent teacher conferences and my mom and her got no fight. That's insane. Yeah. My mom is a very <laughs> Irish temper, fiery mama bear kind of. So she went after her too and whatever. But I mean, I still, I recall that. I remember it. I'm sure at the time it traumatized me. So it's not something you want to hear. And why would you say that? Like high school age kids are not fully formed. Like how can you make a you know what, you will never do this unless it was to light a fire under your ass, which I'm sure it wasn't. Like, it didn't sound like you had a relationship where she wanted to like. Yeah, I think I was really bad at that, like analysis kind of writing where you. Sure. You know, you read a novel and then you talk about the motif and the themes and the tones and the But like, who was good at that in high school? I certainly was not. And I probably still am not, but didn't need to hear it. That's crazy. Don't want that. Don't need that. Screw her. Look at us now. We have a Dawson's Creek podcast. Look at us. Who Look would have us. thought? Well, it was a nice little solid episode, but... Yeah, not too much to deep dive into. Setting up some stuff yeah. that'll come down the pike. I mean, it's called Psychic Friends. What do you want? <laughs> Shall we do a Creek Speak? All right. Well, we have a Creek Speak from Mike 111111WW via Apple Podcasts. Best Dawson's podcast, five stars. I love me some 90s WB shows. And when the missus and I wanted to re-binge the classics, DC was at the top of my list. We've been listening to the Boy Meets World podcast and thought we'd search for Dawson's one and found this. Love it. Great banter. Would recommend. Thanks. We love that. All right. Shall we do a Dawson's draft? Mm-hmm. We shall. I'm very, I'm torn. This is causing me a lot of turmoil, this category. <laughs> me too. Me too. But it was... A write-in suggestion, so we had to take it. Right. It is best montage. Best montage. And I believe I go first. Right. I don't think we're going to have much overlap. I don't know why I feel that way. But I am going to pick from season five of Breaking Bad, the crystal blue persuasion montage. And it's basically showing Walter... And every step of the meth making process, how they get the money. It's like all things that you've heard about in the series up until now, but you see the logistics of like the meth going into the barrels, the money coming on the plane, the money coming in cans of soda, the, you see all the ins and outs and logistics of the process. And you see Walter White kind of like tired at the end of the day. It's very much so a job for him. But I just remember watching it and being like, wow, that was so effective. And it has stuck with me. And the song Crystal Blue Persuasion, obviously the meth in Breaking Bad, if you haven't seen it, is blue. For some reason, his process makes the meth blue. So it was just the perfect fit. And it always stuck with me. I don't remember, but I will definitely go back and watch it. Yeah, it's a good one. So my number one, it's kind of a two-hander. So in the, it's uh, This Is Us, in the series finale, the song they use is one of their score songs from the soundtrack. So it's it's just instrumental, no words. And it is a montage of, in the two-hour series finale, they toyed with this idea that Rebecca, Mandy Moore's character, is on a train. 
and she is saying goodbye to everyone. And her final destination is kind of this like last caboose where she'll pass away. And it's intercut with her family on the funeral and what they're doing and how they're all playing games together. And it's also intercut with a season one episode that they never aired. It's footage of season one of the kids when they're really young. It's they never aired it in season one. So they played with it in the finale. And it's just, oh, my God, it is so effective. effective. And just the dialogue they use and the, the score is perfect. And it's unbelievably effective. <laughs> that show was so good at playing with emotions. Yeah, like, it was crazy good. And kind of along the same lines, uh, a few episodes before that, they did a closing montage to uh, to build a home by the cinematic orchestra. And that song is just like, oh, my God, pulls at your heartstrings. But it's kind of they they do a montage of Mandy Moore's character, uh, her decline. So like her cognitive cognitive decline, her physical decline. And that's kind of what sets off the series finale. That kind of is what leads you into the series finale. And they were both really good montages, but they're kind of too similar to sure. differentiate them. So. I was. I would just say this is us, um, like the season finale. Just arc like the whole, montages. the yeah. whole series. <laughs> the whole series. Good pick. I am gonna take at the end of season five of Grey's Anatomy. Did you have it on your yeah. list? <laughs> oh no, that episode of that show. There were so many episodes where I was like, "Wow, that was a really great episode, really great moment." But I rewatched that in preparation for this. And I still get chills in the moment when you realize that John Doe is George. So immediately following that, there's a whole montage where Izzy is going through breast cancer and she signed a DNR and her and George are both flatlining and everyone from the hospital is like split between their two rooms and they meet in an elevator in like the in-between basically. And Izzy survives and George dies. And it is really like it's Wild. really good it was on my list the song is called off i go by george laswell thank you yeah that really sticks out as far as montages go but like just little things like izzy's wearing her dress that yes. she wore the night that denny died yeah. and it's funny i was saying to you earlier izzy and george get such a bad like they're seen as such a negative thing but i actually really like them together and i think they're cute not that I want them together in the long haul or anything, but I just don't look back at that storyline as so negatively as other people do. I never wanted them. Like, I didn't like that they ever toyed with the romantic side of them, but I loved them as, like, they had such a good friendship. Yeah. And I think when you watch the montage now from season five, it works as friends. Yes. You know, they were best friends, so it makes sense that they would see each other. Absolutely. That was on my list. I love that scene. Sorry. So for my number, uh, also, I need to preface this by saying, my two favorite montages I picked during music moments. So I'm not going to pick those again. It was the six feet under finale and the uh, montage from parenthood when Crosby gets engaged and uh, they lose the baby. And that's been talked about. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm not going to reuse those because I feel like that's cheating. I'm going to go with the Friday night lights series finale. The song was Delta spirits before the devil knows you're dead basically just a montage showing you where everyone is headed how everything's ending for everyone tim riggins is building his house with his brother they're all kind of getting the endings that they you know deserve and some people get happy endings some people don't get fully happy endings but it's it's just a really good device yeah coach and tammy end up in philly i just like how you get a peek into what's going to happen to them next 
I feel like that show is so good at being like, what do you mean? Like, no, it could, he could never go to Philly and like have it. And then they show you him with the kids and you're like, oh, all right. It's cute. Like, all right. I think I'm going to take the Sopranos season two finale ending montage. And it is, if you've watched the show, they've decided to kill Big Pussy, who is like one of the original crew the main guys but they've gotten a tip that he's working with the fbi he's become an informant so they end up killing him and the finale montage shows meadows graduation party through and through by the rolling stones is playing and it's a montage of like basically everyone gathered for meadows graduation everybody's happy everybody's having a good time and it's intercut with guys on the street selling calling cards the waste management offices it's just like a juxtaposition of the people at the top and the people who are working for them and it ends with a shot of the ocean which is where they dumped big pussy's body so it's like a very strangely poignant moment and one that comes back in the series and i just remember really liking that we rewatched the Sopranos over covid and that stood out to me so funny because to me, Pussy dies in season one, but did that that storyline went into season two. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Actually, really, I really should rewatch that. So for my third one, I'm going to go with. It's not technically the girls' finale; it's the penultimate episode. But there's a scene at the, um, I believe it's the ninth episode of season six of Girls, where they've all kind of just discussed how their friendships were really toxic and they're not going to be friends anymore, and they're at this party. Hannah is watching them all dance and she's sad because it's the end of an era. She's pregnant. She's going to move to the country and she's kind of watching them all dance and every character kind of gets their moment to dance. And again, they just decided to basically all not be friends because it's so toxic and terrible. And then it um, it's a song called How Do We Get Back to Love by Julia Michaels, who I love, but I can't find the song on Spotify. And then it transitions just super fast into a very slow song. Crowded Places by Banks, and it's Lena Dunham's character driving to the country and her moving into her little country home. I just love the way that ended. So I sometimes just stop watching at episode nine. I sometimes do that with those shows that when they go an episode beyond, mm. <laughs> like Dawson's kind of did that the last season, the last episode of season six, which is in the present, and then the series finale actually takes place five years in the future. Sometimes I'll just stop watching at that episode that cuts it off. And I think it's a really effective montage. I never watched Girls. Oh, you have to. Yeah. Not without its flaws, but very, it's a fun show. I think I'm going to take the moment of departure montage from The Leftovers. So the pilot of that series starts with just a large group of people disappearing. And you come to realize it's like everyone thinks it's the rapture and just like basically half the people disappeared. And sometimes it was, we are introduced to it in the pilot because we're at a grocery store and people just start screaming like, where's my kid? Where's my baby? Carts are rolling. But towards the end of the season, they do a moments of departure montage where we're with our characters that we've come to know. And in that moment and seeing them react to people disappearing. And it's just really effective now that we're like in it and we know them and we get to be with them in that moment. And the one character was pregnant and she's in an ultrasound and her baby disappears. It's like, nuts it's really it's good i think it's score i don't think there's a song playing but i just remember it being really great and carrie coon is a legend and she's gonna be in white lotus season three so i'm leftovers is on my 
list of shows to watch and i might bump it up because i do want to watch it because i know everyone loves carrie coon but i don't know her from anything but everyone went crazy when she got cast on white lotus and the leftovers how many seasons is that three i could do that and i think it's 10 each i will look forward to that montage (laughs) so for my next one so this one's a little tricky. So I'm gonna pick the I'm gonna pick the Parenthood series finale. So the Parent Parenthood and Friday Night Lights had the same creator, Jason Kadams, and they both kind of did the same thing. They did a montage of showing you where everyone was gonna go. And Iron and Wine, I believe, is performing the theme song Forever Young. And they're performing it in the show because one of the characters has a record label, um, a recording studio. Now I'm a little torn because I don't love everything they're showing us. But it's a really effective montage. Uh, someone has just passed away, and it's very effective again, as we said. And I thought it was a good way to wrap it up. Parenthood's a great old show. It is. I feel like Jason Kadams is just so good. So good. <laughs> For my fifth pick, I'm going to take the season two episode of Grey's Anatomy, where a guy comes in with a bomb stuck in his body. And I don't remember the specifics of how and why that happened, but ultimately Meredith ends up in an operating room with a member of the bomb squad and breathe 2 a.m. by Anna Nalik is playing and she knows she might die. And it's intercut with Bailey's husband having brain surgery. So Derek is operating on Bailey's husband, Tucker. Bailey has gone into labor and refuses to push until she knows that her husband's okay. So Addison is with her and being like, you're putting your baby at risk. We need you to push. And George steps in and sits behind her and kind of coaches her through it. And she has her baby. And then Richard, who is still the chief at the time, is just under a ton of stress. And he ends up collapsing and having what everyone thinks is a heart attack. So it's just like a very... Anything that can go wrong. Any Yeah, like everything is happening at once. Yeah. And it aired after the Super Bowl and it did not disappoint. I remember watching it with someone who had never seen Grey's Anatomy before. And like the montage, it's all like a slow build and everything's great. And then at the end, the bomb is out of the body. Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights, who is the best, is walking down the long hallway with the bomb and the bomb explodes and he dies. I remember that. It's so good. It's just such a good moment such a good montage yeah it. and that song brings back that memory and that montage because i do hear that song from time to time and it brings it all back absolutely so for my number five my final pick of montages so last episode or the episode before i brought up revenge mm-hmm. under best rivalry so revenge has kind of been on my brain and there was a season one finale moment where victoria grayson is boarding a plane uh with all of the evidence on it that amanda slash Emily needs to put them away and the plane blows up and it's seven devils by Florence and the machine. And so many other things are going on during the montage. Like the one girl has a drug overdose. Emily finds out her mother's not dead. It's, uh, it's just so dramatic and we love revenge. So dramatic. That show had such a good way of being like twist after twist after twist. And you're like, what? Yeah. And that's the other thing. Season one, it was a small show about her wanting revenge on this Hamptons family. And in that montage, she finds out that it's much bigger. There was like a global cover up. This this company came in after her dad was killed and covered it up. So that's kind of when it takes a bigger, the show becomes bigger than itself in that moment where it gets legs for seasons two through six, where she realizes she has to take down a global corporation, not just the small Hamptons family. So 
so good. my list this is us basically all the last season <laughs> montages my second one's friday night light series finale my third one is the girls season six episode nine my fourth pick is the parenthood series finale and my fifth one is revenge season one finale mine are season five of breaking bad crystal blue persuasion season five of Grey's Anatomy, when George and Izzy meet in the in-between and are dying. Season two finale of Sopranos with the juxtaposition of Meadows' graduation and all of the work being done to keep these guys afloat. The moment of departure from season one of Leftovers and the season two Grey's Anatomy bomb episode. Solid lists. They are Considering we didn't want to use any of our music moments. I know. That was tricky. Obviously, all of our music moments are also... Our top montages. Yes. Well, what will we be drinking next time for episode 218? Episode 218 is called A Perfect Wedding, and we will be drinking champagne or Prosecco or your favorite sparkling. It's a simple one, and we are excited. To tell you why we're drinking champagne, I mean, the OG hardcore fans should know. Yeah. And of course, we drank crystal balls in this because of the psychic. Yes, she has a very large crystal ball. Mike Potter is back. He's out of prison. Mike Potter's back. Jack and Joey are friends. Jen's single again. Dawson's a loner. I'm a loner, Dottie. The psychic warned that Pacey and Andy are in for some troubled times. Is she right? I don't know. We'll have to find out. Mitch is driving around with Miss Kennedy. Is he ever? Graham says a new lease on life. She has new hair. She's going to start hanging out with friends. <laughs> Grams shampooed her hair. She let it down. She dyed it red. She's ready to go. Sure is. All right. Well, let's see how all those things play out next week. We're heading into an exciting end of season two arc. We're going to hit a nice little action-packed four episode. Bam, 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 bam. Big time, baby. Looking forward to it. And then just like that, season two will be over. But anyway. <gasps> We're getting ahead of ourselves. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.